You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. On this day after Christmas, it's not too late to say Merry Christmas, and uh, I hope you've had a good Christmas. I hope you have uh, gotten to be with some somebody that you love and and maybe got to eat a little bit of good food. And of course, I hope you got a special gift or two. Uh, in fact, if I were to ask you, what is the favorite Christmas gift you've ever received? What comes to mind? Like what just pops in your mind first thing? Uh, it's interesting for me that so often that uh, one of the, the memories that comes to my mind was when I was, when I was a kid. I think I was around first grade and it was it was the time I got my first bicycle it was we always at that time would open our gifts on Christmas Eve and our family was together and I got this little box and I really wanted a bicycle but I hadn't seen a bicycle anywhere and kind of given up maybe that I was going to be able to get one and and so uh, they said open this box last it was a little box but inside the box it said go look in the backyard and so I jumped up and I run, and, and at least my memory is I run to the back door and I look out. It was kind of a screen door, and I remember looking out, and there was my dad riding this little bike round and around in a circle. Like there was one light out in our backyard, and I remember seeing him riding it around and around in a little circle. And, and that's when I got my first bike, and I, I just remember that as an incredibly special gift. And, uh, you know, one of the things about gift giving and about Christmas is, uh, we, we learned this as we watched our kids grow, is that it, it's, it's really a, a fun thing to watch where when our kids grew from being excited from what they were going to get at Christmas to then getting excited about what they were going to give. There is just really something special about giving the right gifts, right? Um, I talked to one of our site pastors this year, and, and he and his wife bought their children uh, new bicycles. And he was so excited, he's, he, he wanted to give it to them early before Christmas, and his wife is like, no, we're... We're not going to do that, uh, but he just wanted to because he's so excited. He wanted them to have them now and not have to wait. And it's, it's kind of that happens because there's just something special that's about about giving the right gift to the right person. And it's really kind of with that in mind. I want us to look at our passage today. We're going to be in in Matthew chapter two, and we're concluding the series that we've been in for the last few weeks that we're calling God with us, and we've looked at some of. Uh, some of the, the characters of the Christmas story and how they have interacted with Jesus. We looked at Mary and we looked at the shepherds and last week Matthew did such a great job of looking at Herod and making us think in some different ways and good ways about the Christmas story and the gospel. And today I want to conclude the, the, the story and, and the series with the story of, of the wise men. Uh, you, you probably know a little bit about the wise men and one of the things that's interesting about them is that they uh, they came from the east, and they probably were wealthy. We've been talking about uh, so far in this series that the first, the, the message of the gospel, the message of the Savior came to just everyday people. It didn't come to the wealthy. It didn't come to the people who had power. But in case we think the message is not for those who are wealthy or those who are influential, the wise men very likely were. They they were likely men of esteem, uh, men of wealth, likely considered scientists of their day, 
and they were Gentiles. It's just another reminder that the gospel is for all people. Now, we call them wise men because they were likely seen as men of wisdom in their own countries. And today, I would say they were wise men because they were seeking Jesus. And as we say, wise men still seek him. Uh, they were, we're told that they were from the east. And the best we understand, that means they were from Persia, which at that time would have been Babylon. And if that's where they were from, that means they would have traveled about 900 miles to see the Savior. Uh, and, and what we're going to see, they didn't come to receive from him. They came to give to him. And so we're going to look at the gifts that they brought. And I want us to think about it from this, this perspective as we still are in the Christmas time, but also getting ready in a week or so to enter a new year. I want to ask this question. Uh, what gifts will you bring to the Lord both today, but in this coming, in this coming year? But before we get to the gifts, let's just be reminded of the story. Let's start in verse 1 of, of Matthew chapter 2. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where's the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now I want us to notice a couple of things. One is that in the scripture it doesn't call them the wise men, at least not in this translation. It calls them magi. And that often the scripture just says the Magi came from the east. Well, that word Magi actually means uh, magician. Very likely they were involved with astrology. As I said, they were men of wisdom, probably uh, had a religious element to their work, and, and very likely religious advisors to the courts in the country where they, where they came from. Uh, one of the questions is, is how many were there? Uh, you know, we usually think there were three because they brought three gifts and we're familiar with the, the Christmas song, We Three Kings. Uh, and that is the tradition in, in the West. We tend to think there were three wise men. That's usually what we see in nativity scenes, that kind of thing. It's interesting, though, in the East, the tradition is that there were 12. So we, we don't know exactly how many. Uh, we do know there were three gifts. It doesn't matter exactly how many there were, but we know that also in addition to these men, they probably had an entourage with them of protectors and providers. Whatever, however many there were, there were enough in their entourage that when they came to, into Jerusalem, uh, they made a stir and it was really you know, bothersome to Herod and others noticed. So anyway, let's, let's pick up as we continue on verse 9. It says, After they heard, had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. I want you to notice, first of all, before we, before we go on, that it says, on coming to the house. They didn't say on coming to the stable. Or it, they were, by now, they were at a house. 
This was probably a little while after Jesus had been born. Some even estimate that it could have been from nine months to two years after Jesus was, was born and they were, were in a house and that's, that's where they came from. So they came, even though we see the wise men in nativity scenes, they certainly were part of the story, but they likely weren't there that night. And also it's why it's okay if I talk about Christmas after Christmas day, because they came after the birth. And so it's okay to do that. But anyway, I want you to notice they came to the house and then it says they bowed down and worshiped him, which is always the right response to Jesus. And then they opened their treasures, their gifts, and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in, warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So I just want to look at this for a moment. You know, as an act of worship, they brought three gifts to the Lord, and they were significant gifts. And these gifts have really significant symbolism. Now, I, I don't know if the Magi knew the symbolism of what they were bringing, I hope they did. But even if they didn't, the Lord knows. And I, I believe there's so much here that the fact that the gifts are mentioned is no accident. Just like there, there's nothing by accident in scripture. I want us to look at these three gifts and let us consider as we see the symbolism of these gifts, our own gifts to the Lord this coming year. I, I would just think about it this way. What if the, these gifts represent gifts we can give to the Lord in the coming year? So I've titled this message, What Gift Will I Bring? And the first gift they brought was the gift, as you saw here, of frankincense. And I would say, let, let's let this gift of frankincense represent for us the gift of prayer. Now, I almost called it the gift of dependence because... Uh, that's really where prayer comes from, isn't it? Our, our dependence on the Lord. Um, but let me show you why I, I would say this is the gift of, of prayer. Frankincense was, uh, it was an amber-colored oil. It was from the resin of a tree. It was caught and dried. And, and this white dust would form around the outside of it. And often it was used for candles. And when the candle was burned in a room, it would make this beautiful aroma. Now, it was very expensive. Usually, it was mixed with other uh, products, with other goods to, to kind of dilute the cost. Uh, but very, very probably, they presented it raw to, to the Lord. And, uh, you know, I was pleased to discover that frankincense was used in the tabernacle in, in the Old Testament when prayer was being offered to the Lord. And that's, that's one of the things that has led me to this idea of letting it be our gift of prayer. They brought the gift of a beautiful aroma to the Lord, to Jesus, the one who would one day be a praying king, who would be a priest, the one who today sits at the right hand of the Father praying for you. So they, they brought this gift that represents this beautiful aroma, this prayer. It makes me think of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. It says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ, among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To, to the one, we are an aroma of, that brings death uh, to those that don't know the Lord, who've rejected the Lord, but to others, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? How can we bring this gift of incense, this gift of frankincense? How can we give and be a sweet aroma to the Lord? 
How do we become the pleasing aroma of Christ to those around us? Well, one way is that we have a very real and growing prayer life, life of prayer, that we are people who are actually dependent on the Lord. And of course, that is seen in our obedience, isn't it? This is where I, I think this idea of a sweet aroma comes in. And it's when you and I are learning on a daily basis, day after day, to lean on Jesus, especially when times are hard. But even when in what we might call, you know, the good times, we, we, we just learn to lean on Him. We learn to depend on Him. And, and it's prayer that leads us. I mean, it's dependence that leads us to prayer. We might not recognize it, but when we live like that over time, we begin to change. We, again, we might not recognize it, but others will. There's something about us that can be like this sweet aroma. There's a, there's a joy, there's a confidence, there's a peace that can come in our lives when it would make no sense that we would be at peace in the midst of difficult times. People could look at us and say, how could you be calm? How, can, how could you have peace during this time? And you can say, I, you know, I, I don't know, but I just know the Lord is good and I'm, I'm learning to depend on Him. And, and that, that brings about a difference, makes us different. I was talking to one of the wives of our, of our planters who planted just this year, and I was saying, well, how's it, how's it been? And she said, you know, it's been the hardest and the greatest thing I've ever done. And she's just talking about how she's learned to, to lean on the Lord and how she's seen Him to be at work. And You know, I, I, I heard another man say, it's been the hardest year that I've experienced, but he said, I can honestly say I love the Lord more. I love His Word more, and I, I love and trust His Word far more now than I did a year or two ago. So, if He's the goal, then these are great days. Now, that, is, that would be crazy to somebody from the outside maybe listening in and saying, what do you mean these are great days? But that's the words of a life of dependence. That's the words of one whose life is, to commit, is committed to dependence and, and to prayer. And, and from that comes this fresh aroma. And, and I would just say, let this gift, consider for this coming year, this gift of dependence, this gift of prayer that, that is sometimes this passionate, fervent prayer to God. And then other times it's like an ongoing conversation, knowing that He's always with you and just learning all through your day to do that, that gift of prayer. Well, that's the gift of frankincense. The next gift was the gift of gold. Gold. And with this, of course, I might be kind of obvious here, but this is, I would say, the gift of our resources that we give to the Lord. And really, I'm talking about the idea of being people who are generous, having a, a spirit, a, a generous spirit, a spirit of generosity. They brought him gold, the kind of gift that is fit for a king. Gold. Now, I don't know if they brought him a, a, an exquisite bracelet or beautiful jewelry or if it was just uh, a chunk of raw gold that they, that they brought. I, I, I don't know. But they left it there before the king. And, and the idea here is that they brought the best. It's the idea of giving our best to Jesus. It was the symbol of a medium of exchange, just as, just as it is now. And, and so, frankly, part of what that means is that, that we commit our finances to the Lord, that we give to Him our money, that that we depend on Him in every area of our life, including the financial area. It means we bring our best to Him. That's, that's where we get the principle that we, we learn it from Proverbs. It's the idea of the first fruits 
principles. It means we give to God first, not last. We give to Him the best we have, not what we have left over. That, that comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. That's, there's an incredible promise there, but it starts with giving to the Lord first. And that's where the idea of the tithe, giving the first 10% of our income to the Lord, and then trusting Him with the other 90, knowing He can do more with the 90 than we can do with the 100%. But all of it belongs to Him. But that, that first, it belongs to Him. And so we give to Him first. It's the idea of giving God our best. And I often think of, of this experience when I think about this principle. When our daughter Audrey was, I don't know, four or five years old, I, uh, I took her to Dairy Queen and got her a, a hot fudge sundae. And I, I was trying to be good, so I didn't get one for me. I just bought her one and I was just going to sit and talk with her. So we're sitting in the booth at Dairy Queen and she's loving this ice cream. And we're just talking and I'm sitting watching her eat it and it just looks so good, you know. And so finally I said, Audrey, could I have a bite of that? And she's like, sure, Daddy. And she takes this big scoop of ice cream and puts it in her mouth and, and then pulls out the spoon and there's a little bit left on the spoon and she hands it, she, she hands it toward me and goes, here, Daddy. And I'm like, boy, you little, I, I'm thinking in my mind, I, you, that's what you're offering me. You wouldn't even have this ice cream if it wasn't for me. And you're offering me that little bit on that. And it was like in that moment, the Lord goes, pay attention here. Pay attention to this moment right here. And I was like, oh, man, Lord, is this what I do to you? I mean, everything I have is from you. Every, everything I, that I, that's been given to me, you've given to me, ultimately. Am I just offering you the, the leftovers, what's on the spoon? I, I'll never forget that. And, and that's the idea. We don't give to God just the least that we can. We give to Him first. And we let Him be the priority. It, it represents giving our best to the one who deserves the most. Uh, in our lives, the gift of our resources to Him. So the, the gift of frankincense and gold, and then the gift of myrrh. Now, none of these, except for gold, is really, they're very familiar to us, right? But actually, in the Bible, the, 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 I, the, the, the fragrance, the resin, what myrrh was, is mentioned a lot more, a lot more often. Uh, myrrh is mentioned um, as a perfume, it would also come from trees and shrubs, and they, they would let the resin seep, seep into these special kinds of containers. It was also used as an anesthetic. If you remember when Jesus was on the cross, they mixed wine with myrrh and offered it to him. And then it was also used as a, as a way of embalming people. If you remember when Jesus died and Joseph and Nicodemus, Nicodemus took his body down and they embalmed it with aloe and myrrh. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that, that this gift of myrrh can do then, it can remind us of his death. It can remind us of, of his sacrifice that this baby that we remember at Christmas came to die for our sins. And I would submit to us that this idea of myrrh can represent our gift to God, the gift of our future the gift of our future, the willing, our willingness 
to lay our future at the altar of Jesus, to die to our own plans and desires, though we may have plans, we may have desires, but we're willing to, to lay them before the Lord uh, and, and, and let Him be in charge of them rather than us. Now, some of you might say, well, well I've done that, and, and I'm, I hope you have, but it's not something we do just once. And I found that many times when I lay my future before the Lord, I'm, I'm laying like this certain picture. I sort of have this certain picture if I do this. This is what this means. This is what this is going to look like. And so I find myself really devoted to the picture rather than to the Lord. And almost every time in my life, the, the picture I had is different than what the Lord had in mind. So it's, it's really uh, laying my life before the Lord and trusting Him, His plans more than my, even my ideas of the plans and what it will mean. I want to share a prayer with you uh, that I came across re recently. It was written by John Wesley. He and Charles Wesley, his brother, were the founders of the Methodist movement. And I came across this prayer, and it's a prayer that I am trying to pray. It's just really hard. And I want to kind of walk through it with you just for a second. Um, and you can look it up or maybe take a screenshot of it or a photo of it if you're looking on a television. But I want you to look at this prayer as we think about uh, laying our future before the Lord. Look what, look what he prayed. He said, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me in any place of service. Rank me with any type of people. So put me in any place of service. You know, Lord, as long as it's where I want to be and as long as the pay is, is what I want and as long as I'm fairly comfortable, you know, that, no, that's not what he says. He's, Lord, put me in any place of service. It makes me think of, uh, I've told some of you when I was really wrestling with the Lord, do you want me to leave my pastorate in, in Gresham and come and be a part of of resonate and amazing mean that I would say, Lord, I belong to you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I, I said this to the Lord, I, if you want me to, I'll work in a fish factory. And the reason I said that was that's the worst thing I can imagine doing. I, mean, I hate the smell of fish and I just, you know, I hope that he wouldn't have me do that, but I belong to him. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And people, people have to do that in places around the world. I'm no better than them. So, uh, Lord, put me wherever you want me. And with whatever, rank me with any type of people, high, low, boy, that's, that sounds good, but that's, that's, uh, that's a hard one. It's easier said than done. And then it says, put me to work or put me to suffering. Whew. That's a hard one to pray, really honestly. Let me be useful to you. I can pray that one with confidence or lay it aside for you. Man. Exalted for you or brought low by you? Man, let me be full. Let me be empty. These are, these are prayers that make you pause and say, Lord, I, am I really laying all of my future before you? Let me, have, uh, let, let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and for your use. Now, this is the prayer of somebody who has surrendered their future to the Lord. And it's a prayer I'm going to continue to move toward being able to fully be able to pray.
And I hope that you will do that too, because really our life doesn't belong to us if we've come to know Christ. It belongs to Him. And we might think we know what's best, but, but He does. Jesus had a way of saying it in Luke 9, 23. He said, if anyone would follow me, let, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. That's kind of saying the same thing. Be willing to die. Be, be willing to do whatever. You surrender every day. You surrender today and your future to the Lord. Now, why would we ever do that? What a, again, what a crazy prayer to pray. Why would we ever do that? Well, it's because this baby that we remember at Christmas grew to be a man who was tortured, who was scourged, who was mocked, and who died a cruel death on the cross and took the weight of the sin of the world upon himself so that you and I might be forgiven. And then rose from the dead that we might know life. Life today and life in the life to come. Life forevermore. The reason we're willing to do that is because He's worthy. Nobody else is worthy, but He is. He is worthy. That's why we offer to Him uh, our future and our resources and why we offer to Him our dependence. So I invite you. What would the Lord say to you about these gifts in the coming year? Would you consider day after day laying these, all three of these, before the Lord? I depend on you. My resources, my, my, my prayer, my, my resources, and, and my future. So let me close by doing something like this. Wherever you're sitting, and I know it might be strange, but kind of stretch your arms out. I want you to help me do, do something for a second. I want you to clench your fists and then cross them like this. Because this is our most natural way of life. Our most natural way of life is this is mine and you can't have it. I have a friend that used to say our, our, our way of life is, can, uh, see, get all you can, can all you get, set on the lid and poison the rest. <laughs> living like this. Clenched fists and everything is close and tight to me and nobody else can have it. But we've come to know the Lord. We don't have to live like this. We, we belong to the one who owns everything. So I'm going to invite you to uncross those arms and open your hands as a way, of a, a symbolic way of saying, Lord, I want to live like this. I want to live with open hands to you every day. And I would invite you just to keep your hands open and I, I want to pray over you as we conclude this time. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, for every person who is hearing this and their, their hands that are open to you, I, I pray, Lord, that, that you would help them, even in this day, to know your goodness, to know that they can depend on you. And more than maybe than they've known in the last few years, even in the midst of all the craziness that's going on, they would find their peace in you through their dependence on you. They would trust you with their finances. They would, they would uh, be obedient to you with the tithes and offerings and with the rest of it, knowing that you care about every penny and every part of it. They would honor you with it. And Lord, they would live day by day offering their present and their future to you, living with open hands, knowing that we belong to you. And Lord, for any person who might be watching this who's never opened their lives to you for the first time, I pray today that this day would not end without them surrendering their life to you for the first time.
So, Lord, we thank you that you came. We thank you that you came as a baby, this amazing way to enter the world, but that you died and rose again and that you are alive forevermore. And that we have that hope to live with. It's not just a great idea. It's real and it's true. We offer our lives to you, Lord Jesus. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And uh, we'll see you next year. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.